Well, we are now one week away from Christmas, and hopefully everyone is still joyful, because uh, it seems like Christmas has been around a very long time. Uh, Christmas can feel very all-consuming, and that's because Christmas has become all-consuming. And so we can be bombarded with all of the obligations of Christmas, so by the time we finally get even near Christmas Day, we're just ready for Christmas to be over. We're overwhelmed by parties and presents, decorations and decisions, and we just want to go back to the basics of Christmas. We want to get away from lists that kids are making. We want to get away from all of the getting around us, that people are so focused on getting things. But what if I told you that from the very beginning, that the Bible story of Christmas is actually about some of those things that we find most irritating about Christmas? What if from the very beginning, the birth of Jesus was about someone making a list of what he wanted and then trying to get it? What if the original story involved normal people like us having to run around frantically to make sure we satisfy someone else's desire this holiday? Well, we actually see that in the original passage, and I want to show you. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 2 this morning and Luke's account of the birth of Jesus Christ. It's Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. So Luke is in the New Testament, and we're at the very beginning. It's between the books of Mark and John, and we're in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, a familiar passage for many of the birth of Jesus Christ. Hear the word of the Lord. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration, or census, when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child." And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word that you have spoken to us and that we have details about the birth of Jesus Christ. That this word is living and active and still today through your Holy Spirit you speak to us by your word. So I ask that you would please use me in spite of my sinfulness and my weakness to accurately convey your truth. So that our hearts and minds might receive it and more resemble your son Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. So it's a classic Christmas passage here this morning and at the beginning we meet one king. Caesar Augustus. And at the end, we meet a newborn king, Jesus Christ. And so today, I want us to look at these two kings, what they're like and what they represent, Caesar and Jesus. So who is Caesar? Well, we learn about Caesar Augustus throughout history as well, that he was the emperor of the Roman Empire. 
that the Roman Empire was big, one of the greatest civilizations and kingdoms throughout the history of the world. It stretched all the way from Spain in the west through France, Germany, down into Turkey and Italy, down to the south of the Mediterranean Sea and Egypt. Really everything the Mediterranean Sea touched was part of Caesar's empire, and it spread inland deeper and deeper. It was massive. And so Caesar Augustus could rightly call himself the king of the world because he was the king of the known world. And so from his throne in the city of Rome at the center of the empire, he could make a decree that would affect people a thousand miles apart that his word changed the lives of people who had never met him. It changed the lives of people from far, far away. And so one such decree that did this was a census that he did around the time of Jesus' birth. It was a census of all the world, it says. Really, that's all of his world, the Roman Empire. Now, we might like to think Caesar Augustus was a great guy, and perhaps he was. Maybe he was taking the census out of curiosity. I wonder what the ethnic makeup of my empire is like, if it's diverse enough. I wonder if the population growth is trending in the right direction. I wonder what kind of information I can glean to learn more about these people I rule over. As fun and interesting and kind as that sounds, I feel like Caesar probably had a different motive. Taxes. You see, when you know how many people are out in your empire, you know how many people have how much money and how much money you can get. And so counting all of the people is a great way to get an accurate number of what you should expect in taxes. And so he wanted to know what the tax base would be, whether to raise or lower current rates, and if any territory had been holding out on good old Caesar with their taxes. So what does that reveal about Caesar? What does that reveal about his heart attitude, even more than just he's a governor of a large kingdom? Well, I think we see a lot of contemporary Christmas in Caesar. We see someone who's making a list, probably having someone check it at least twice for accuracy, and he's looking on that list to see who in his territories have been naughty with their taxes or nice with their taxes. Yet he's not looking to give gifts to his kingdom. He is looking to receive gifts in the form of taxes from the people within his kingdom. In other words, Caesar is looking to see what is owed him. Caesar is looking to get gifts from others in the form of taxes, and that is his due as their emperor, and his focus is on what is due to him. And so that affects people around the empire. So Joseph and Mary had to travel from Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem, some 70 miles for the registration. It didn't matter that she was pregnant or inconvenienced by the journey. What truly mattered was that Caesar got what he wanted. He was so far above the people that he was not terribly concerned with how this affected each of the little people in his empire. He was willing to inconvenience the people in order to make sure he got the right amount of taxes. Now, this attitude of Caesar's getting what he wanted, getting what was owed him, is an attitude, unfortunately, we can share as well. And it becomes pronounced during Christmas time. 
It becomes especially pronounced in our children, or maybe when we were children as well. Perhaps you, like like me, once upon a time, when you opened up your Christmas gifts, you would then cross-reference that with a copy of the list that you had sent to Santa to see if everyone got you everything on your list or if anyone was holding out on you. Did everyone pay the Christmas tax? Did I get what I felt was owed to me? Or is there something missing and do I need to go bother someone about the fact that, hey, I thought I was getting this for Christmas? That sounds a lot like Caesar. Perhaps you have a Caesar in your home or a Caesar in your past like I do. Now, a lot of us move on from this childish self-centeredness. Some don't, but a lot of us do. But we still struggle with this kind of greed at Christmas. We just have learned to get more sophisticated about it. It comes out in more subtle ways. That we all struggle in some way, shape, or form with making our focus more about getting than giving. And it's not always as obvious as greedy little kids. We're sophisticated sinners as adults. See, maybe you're not focused on getting gifts given to you. Maybe what you want at Christmas is getting a good deal. Maybe that's what your idea of a good Christmas is. When you scan the Black Friday ads and you look on Amazon for their deals and you want to find how you can get the most possible stuff for other people for the least amount of money. And so we spend a lot of money because it was on sale. I mean, we... We, get, we didn't spend as much as we could have, but we got a whole lot. And that makes us feel like we got something good this Christmas. We were a savvy consumer, and I can pat myself on the back that I got a good Christmas by getting things as a deal. Maybe that's how our subtle greed comes out, and that we're getting the most we can for the least cost. Maybe what you want to get for Christmas is something different. Maybe what you want to get is everyone in your family getting along. You want a drama-free Christmas. And so you'll do everything you can. You'll be in three places at once. You will be over here and not talk about that thing you're not supposed to talk about in front of those people. And you will be on your best behavior to placate and peacemake in order to appear like you are the last scene in a Hallmark Christmas movie where everyone's sitting there well-dressed, hair is all done, smiling and happy. And that would be getting a good Christmas, as if your family appeared to not have any problems whatsoever. That's wrong, by the way. Your family has problems. All of us do, and yet we want that for Christmas. Maybe you want something else for Christmas. Maybe what you want to get is not gifts. Maybe you want to get praise. You want the approval of others that you pulled off the perfect Pinterest Christmas, that you baked the most delicious and beautiful Christmas cookies, that you put on the most elaborate and extravagant dinner, that you had just amazing centerpieces worthy of the President of the United States himself. Those things could go in the fanciest ballroom in the world. Maybe that's what getting a good Christmas is like for you. So that all of your family, your friends, and your Facebook followers can see that and go, you did great. Is that what we want to get for Christmas? See, that's more subtle. It's not a a greedy little kid making a list and crying. 
and yet it's about getting what we want. Maybe you want something a little different. Maybe what you want to get for Christmas is getting through the holidays. That Christmas to you is just this hurdle that you have to get over and get past. That if you could truly ask for anything for Christmas, it would be that it would be December 26th right now. That you wouldn't have to think about the loneliness, the pain, the brokenness of Christmas. That you just wish you could snap your fingers and Christmas is gone and past. And none of the memories creep up in you. That this is the least joyful time of year for you. And you just want to get through it as painlessly as possible. Maybe one of these things is what you want to get for Christmas. Maybe this is what you think will make you happy, truly satisfied. Making you joyful even at Christmas. You see, our natural tendency as people is to try and get what would make us happy. And so whether it's a good deal on a gift, whether it is a beautiful table spread, or whether it's drama-free dinners, we all want to get something at Christmas, and we all set on it the hope that this will make us happy. The problem is, when we're so focused on making ourselves happy, Our focus turns inward, and we're unable to help those around us. It makes it incredibly difficult for us to care about others and their needs if we're focused so much on getting what we want for Christmas. We see evidence of this in Bethlehem. We don't know exactly the reason for the no room being at the inn. That word for inn can mean a hotel in our minds or just a guest room in a distant family member's house, but we know Mary and Joseph were not in the inn, and they were cast out somewhere else, not where they would have expected to stay. Though they were of the family of David in the city of David, they found no place to stay. You'd like to think that someone, anyone, might have given them a place to stay and helped them. And yet she was left laying her baby in a place where livestock ate. You see, helping a woman in labor, especially in those times, was a big commitment. See, caring for others' needs is a big commitment. It's a cost to us. It sounds nice in theory, but it will cost us something. You know, it seems nice to help a car that's on the side of the road with a flat tire, but... You know, me and the kids, we're on the way to the Christmas dinner and we don't want to be late and make grandma mad and the kids are going to cry if we pull over and we help this person. It's just too big of a cost for us. You know, it would be nice to invite someone who's lonely during the holidays over for dinner, but like the other family members are going to ask questions and it's going to be a little weird and it's not going to feel like it normally feels. It'll cost something to do something nice. In the same way it would have cost someone something to have Mary come in and give birth somewhere else. See, in Rome, Caesar set the culture. And his culture, like ours, was corrupted by sinful self-centeredness. That Caesar had an attitude of me first thinking and that whoever was occupying or running this inn was focused on making sure they got what they needed, a place to stay instead of caring for this woman about to give birth and giving her a place to stay. 
And so Caesar's world, his empire, though it is massive in scope, and he was getting accurate numbers of all people in this census, they were not more connected. They were further apart because they all were focusing on themselves. That empire sounds a lot like our empire. A world that spans the whole globe that is vastly connected, knowing details about each individual person, and yet we are far apart. We are focused on ourselves instead of others. We can see glimpses of that in our lives, of this brokenness, of how this really isn't a joyful way to live if we're all focused on getting what we want all the time. But Luke presents a second option. He shows us Caesar and all that he gives to the world. And then he gives us this other king, Jesus. Who is this Jesus? Though he's only a baby in this story, he's presented as the rightful king, a descendant of David. The angel had announced to Mary that this son of hers would take over the throne and rule forever over God's people. And though he was a baby, crying at night, making dirty diapers, spitting up in Mary's hair... He's the king of the world, the true king of the world, not the king of the known world, the king of all things known and unknown, the king of the universe, the rightful ruler of all things. And so he's not owed taxes, he is owed worship as our creator and our God. He is a God who is worthy of our honor and praise, our love and obedience. He is owed so very much. And yet, instead of taking a census here, we see a different act reflecting the heart of God. That the Son of God was born to humble circumstances. His birth is what should have created a royal decree to go out through all the nations. That a son is born, the king is here, and yet there are too many decrees about registrations for this decree to be heard This royal child couldn't even get a proper room. He couldn't get a proper crib. And so his parents leave their home. They journey far away, and they're caring for this precious child, the Son of God, by laying him in a feeding trough. Yet rather than be concerned about the praise and honor that he was due, Jesus humbly enters the world. He enters the world with the purpose of loving and serving others inconveniencing himself to help others instead of, like Caesar, inconveniencing others to help himself. And the humble birth is just the beginning because he was born into this world so that he could live, serve, and die for us, serving us through his suffering and death on the cross, that his entire purpose in being born was to be inconvenienced and humbled for us so that we could be made right with God. We heard that in our assurance of pardon today in the famous verse, John 3.16, that for God so loved the world, he gave his son. And then we learn that his son so loved the world that he gave his own life. That's far different from what we see in Caesar. So how can we be more like that world? How can we be more like that king? Well, we must love and cherish what we have been given in Jesus. That he's a king who's powerful enough to claim the whole world for himself. He's a vulnerable infant who's actually a true king. He's a savior who should judge the whole world and yet he comes to save the world. 
He's a person who lived selflessly and with purity. And yet he says, God, accept these sinners on my behalf. He is a prince who has done the most honorable thing and says, no, the honor belongs to these, these humble people who have dishonored you. See, only the gift of Jesus brings us the kind of lasting joy that makes us feel loved and secure. The angels told the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy. And so often at Christmas, we look for those things that will satisfy us and bring us joy. And yet all too often, they have dust on them six months later. They're in a yard sale five years later. Or it was a fleeting happiness that didn't last. We're looking for something to fulfill us and to give us joy. And God says, here is my son. He is the gift for the joy of the world. That only Jesus can give us that joy. And he is the gift that should be cherished and loved. And when we realize the joy we have been given in him, we are no longer searching during our Christmas time for what will bring us joy. We are free to let that joy overflow in the lives of others. Instead of turning inward thinking, what do I need? We can turn outward knowing God has given me all I need. How can I help others and bring them to know this Jesus? See, this is a different kind of world, and it's because he's a different kind of king. Jesus was talking to Pilate saying, my kingdom is not of this world. Otherwise, I would be acting like Caesar was acting, recruiting troops and trying to overthrow the empire. Instead, Jesus' kingdom produces another kind of attitude, an attitude that cares more about others than ourselves. And that attitude is possible through a divine outpouring of love into our lives that so fills us that we overflow. That love overflows into our families, our church family, and into the world. And so I want to encourage us this Christmas to cherish the gift of Jesus. To think about what we have been given in his birth. What his life meant for us. What his death and his new life, his resurrection means for us. To reflect on it. And to remember the joy we've been given in Jesus. As we think about these two kings, Caesar and Jesus, you would think they're not related. They'd never had any kind of contact. And yet I want us to have a little hypothetical here. Because the reason they went to Bethlehem was for this census. So perhaps Jesus was counted in the census. If you look at this passage in Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 7, it is incredibly undramatic. It reads like a birth certificate. Here's his father. Here's his mother. Here's roughly the time he was born. Here is the place he was born. That's it. There's no like, and they got to the inn in time, and they made it, and he was born. and None of that is there. It is just fact, fact, fact. It's almost like this is what Luke filled out and turned into the census. And that would have gone back to Rome. And sitting in Rome, Caesar and his people under him would have gotten this and seen a small child born in a small town to a small and humble family that maybe someday when he grew up could give a small amount of taxes to the empire. That I don't think he would have thought much about that birth. He wouldn't have seen much there in Jesus Christ and yet little did Caesar know 
that what he saw as a small child from a small town of small means, he was the true child that could give him and the whole world what they truly desired, the joy and satisfaction of being known by God. He came to bring joy for all people, salvation for the world through his death and resurrection. See, too often like Caesar, we look at Jesus and we look here and we think Jesus can give us something small. He can give us a little boost. He can help us get through the holidays. He can help us be a better person. He can help us with this. And Jesus, though he seems small at Christmas as this little infant, came to not give us something small, but something far greater than we can ever imagine the love of our Creator, the love of God, forgiveness for our sins to ease our guilty consciences knowing we have done wrong and we have been selfish. He has filled us in a way that we no longer have to be selfish and we can care for others even at a cost to ourselves for He gave Himself as a great cost to us. This humble King in the manger sets the tone for the kingdom of God that we are to live into. So this Christmas, cherish this child born in the manger, knowing though he is small and humble, he has come to give you something far greater. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day and for your many blessings in Jesus. We thank you that he humbled himself to give us what we truly needed, not necessarily what we think we need, but what fills us so deeply with lasting peace. Lord, may we all know that this Christmas and be filled in Jesus Christ with all the fullness of your love. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.